Hey everyone, welcome to the debut episode of the First Strike Podcast. Now before we get to the content, I just want to give a shout out to our sponsor, HeySpaceGames.com, the number one store in Canada for online Magic the Gathering singles. Now, the First Strike Podcast, what the show is about, is a Magic the Gathering podcast, um, debate-style podcast that discusses competitive and social aspects of the game. And to help me with that, I've got two of the biggest um, rising stars in Canadian magic. <laughs> one of them is one of my oldest friends, someone that I started ManaDeprived.com with, someone that our first, very first piece of content is a series of videos where we go up against Mike Flores, and uh, it was even featured on TCGPlayer.com. So I go way back with this guy. He top-aided the GP that uh, we hosted this year in Toronto, but he also did something else. He not only top-aided the GP, he also top-aided the Sunday Super Series, being the only person to ever do that. And his other accomplishments include being the former Alberta Provincial Champion, and he most recently won face-to-face games, the Edmonton Open, my good friend, Doug Potter. How's it going, Doug? It's going well, yeah. Two, two top eights, one Doug. That's, uh, that's how we did it. It was, it was good times. No, it, was, uh, it was a fun weekend. <laughs> the other person helping us is going to be someone that is trying to one-up Doug, and he has most recently. He's not only won GP Toronto by defeating Doug in the top four, so he's 1-0 against Doug. He also top eight at GP Montreal, and he's been on a tear recently. So we got Mr. Robert Lombardi. How's it going, Rob? Life's good. Yeah, I'm ready to, uh, you know, to tear Doug into one, put him in his place, make sure he knows uh, where he is on the, you know, on the evolutionary ladder. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see what happens. (laughs) This is really awkward. I haven't done a live show in a while and uh, kind of feeling kind of nervous despite 300 episodes of the of the A-team, and if you don't know, you probably know me if you're watching this, so I'm KYT, I've started MadDeprive.com 2010, that's like six years ago, and uh, most known for doing the A-team podcast and the Crazy Talk podcast. Here we go with topic number one in this debate, is it just recently, uh, this past weekend, we had the World Magic Cup, Uh, we were rooting for Canada, had an Awesome, awesome day one. Really excited for them. They were in really good shape to go deep. Um, Canada, since the World Magic Cup uh, format started after uh, post-nationals, we haven't seen much success at all. Everyone blames it on team chemistry, blames it on the people that make the team via the WMCQ format. But we finally had a really good shot. And we probably, on paper, according to me, we had the best team ever that we've had in, in this new format. Sadly, we lost to Macedonia in stage one, round four, in a heartbreaking, it looks like a heartbreaking match where, where Brian Sue lost in three games with a Titan Shift or a Valkyrie. So that, that was very heartbreaking to see. And a lot of talk on Twitter talked about how the structure was kind of bad. Like PV talked about how uh, in day two, people came in just to play a single elimination match. Why not have that at the end of day one and things like that? So Doug, starting with you, what do you think about the structure? Honestly, um, I thought the, the structure was garbage. I thought that uh, they had some interesting ideas that they were trying, such as uh, to, to build some hype and to have uh, matches matter in stage one and stage two on day two. But ultimately, like, we're looking at a format where on day one, 
when you're going into round seven, right? So you're just playing through day one and we're in the seventh round. Almost half of the field, if not more, drew. Because if you're 3-3 and you draw to 10 points, you lock yourself a chance to just come back and play that single elimination round. Uh, if you're already at five wins, your matches don't matter. So we have this like Canada versus Belgium 5-0 match to go 6-0 that's just completely irrelevant. So we have wasted matches being played, you know, wasted hype chances if it was just a regular Swiss. Then you get, like you said, these teams to come back on the second day to play a match for their entire entire lives. And yes, it's best two out of three matches of Unified Modern, but, you know, a lot of that goes into the, the matchups that you sit down and, and what you organized. And next thing you know, your team can just be out. And um, that's a feeling that not many people have had in the past. I I personally had the, uh, I guess, privilege of being 4-2 in day two of a triple elimination pro tour of Philadelphia. And I came back to play one match. And if I lose, I go home. And I lost, and I was over. And I can't describe like how sinking of a feeling that is to just set up this format where you just wake up, you have all of this pressure, you have your whole country rooting for you, and you're just gone. And then like let's keep moving forward. Now we're putting ourselves into these, you know, uh, best two out of three kind of matches that are double elimination. And if you lose two, you're out. Like, I don't think that's a strong format because, you know, you, just because you won the first two and maybe you would have lost the second one uh, or the third one, sorry, your, your team is just through and onto the top 16 and onto the top eight. And uh, there's so much pressure on these individual matches that when you look at a pro tour to make top eight, you have 16 rounds in a pro tour. You don't just have one or two rounds. This tournament had six rounds, okay? Then a playoff. Maybe that's a seventh. Maybe you've already had a bye because you 5 0 like Canada did. And now you're playing one or two more rounds that could end your entire tournament. We're looking at like an eight or nine round tournament for a team like Canada to play. That's just not, in my opinion, something that qualifies a world-class, world-champion team. And, and I do personally think that some of this can be reflected in who top aided. And I don't want to take anything away from the teams that top aided because I love the, the hype around the World Magic Cup. And I love seeing teams like Macedonia uh, do well. They didn't end up top aiding, but, you know, there is some hype where you get these smaller countries to do well. But I think it's kind of proven in the results that a lot of the stronger on-team paper uh, or on-paper teams who usually do well in team events weren't there. And I blame the structure a lot for that personally. Mm -mm. Yeah, Rupert. I mean, there's, there's probably a valid point in there uh, somewhere, I guess. <laughs> I would agree. Uh, there probably is. <laughs> Under over 1.5. 1, 1. Um, so, uh, I mean, I, I agree that like coming back to play one match is kind of shitty, right? But I mean, it is it is the World Magic Cup, right? And you do want to build some excitement. Um, and, and you want those people to be fired up for the next day, right? So they, those teams that come in, they have everything on the line. If they win, they're going to be, like, on a high, right? And I think that given the stakes of the tournament, it's not too much to ask them to come back to the event site, which Wizards paid them to be at anyways, right, uh, so that they could, like, you know, record this event and showcase their, you know, their talent and, and the game or whatever, um, I, I just, I don't think it's too inconvenient to come, but even if they lose, right, they lose their out. But I mean, you can, you can hang around. Like some people actually want to watch the fucking tournament. So it's not, <laughs> it's not that bad. Like, you know, you lose, maybe you, you stick around and watch stuff. Okay. So that that's fine. I, I think they can do better. Right. I, I definitely think they can do better um, in that spot. As far as like 
how day two overall goes compared to like um, a normal PT or, or GP or whatever. I actually think this structure is better than like a G, a team event GP, the way it's structured. So like the tiebreakers are always a clusterfuck in, in team events and you don't really want to rely on them. You don't want people drawing. You don't want people colluding. If you're like friends with some other people, but not because like you're from a country that's not well known, then some shady shit can happen. This eliminates all of that stuff, right? You do good on day one, you get a buy on the first, uh, the first round of day two. Um, you do shit on day one, but you make it, then you got to play, right? You play for your life. You win, then you get to play again. Then you need to go 2-1. So you just need to have a winning fucking record <laughs> in each stage. So you go 2-1, you make it. If you don't, you're out, right? So I agree that it, it was kind of shitty for Canada. Like they had a really good day one. They came in at fourth seed. But, I mean, they just had to, sh- like, show up and have a winning record uh, to kind of move on. And it's like a 73 or something, right? So if you're, like, have modern decks that are going one, two, in three rounds, you're likely not going to make the cut for top eight anyways. So it kind of makes sense to, like, you know, you get two losses, cut it out, then you restructure everyone. And, I mean, also, like, if you're doing well, you get to play against teams that were doing shittier, right? So... Um, there's benefit in that. Like they should have been able to beat two of those other teams um, at least one match, Australia or, or or Macedonia. So I mean, it fucking sucks that they lost, but I think that the structure uh, is fair, eliminates the tiebreakers, and it also like like you said, it does kind of give hype for the smaller countries, and they they don't get that kind of visibility a lot. And I think that uh, Wizards giving them a chance to actually do well and showcase themselves. Um, you know, I think it, it matters to those countries. It matters a hell of a lot more to them than probably to us. So I think to give them a chance is, is reasonable. I mean, one one thing, though, that you mentioned there when you were talking about day two that I that I didn't bring up is uh, if you have good modern decks, you can go 2-1. That's the other part of the structure that I personally am not a fan of is you play some sealed at the very start and then it just turns into this modern fest and your team can literally just start you know, one, one, three or two, two and limited and just not be a solid team, but, you know, have the right seats in modern and you can carry yourself all the way through uh, onto the top eight from that point. And, and I think that if we're going to do this, this type of structure to eliminate, um, to eliminate collusion, like you said, and those are the incentives. We also, I think, need to add some ways to bring skill into it and uh, bring sealed into day two as well. That's something else that I... I want to bring up. I would personally love Sealed to be part of day two, but it seems like the general magic population, the people that like watch Twitch, fucking hate Limited for some reason. And they've been like just cutting back. They cut back on the coverage of GPs for Limited and they're cutting back on like focusing on Limited and it being like something important at high level events. I wouldn't be surprised if eventually Pro Tours like also you know, maybe like every one pro tour a year, you're playing three rounds of modern, five rounds of standard instead of like three rounds of, of draft, five rounds of standard. Like people just don't seem to be interested in watching, you know, renegade fighters getting zapped by welding sparks all day. <laughs> no, that's true. But, you know, we talk about this being the World Magic Cup and and people from all over the world are going to be tuning in and cheering in for their country if they're doing well in limited or if they're doing well in modern. I don't actually think that this was a showcase of modern personally because a lot of people that I talk to, you know, will say that, oh, well, they made these choices because it's Team Unified Modern. They're not tuning in to figure out their RPTQ deck list from, from this event because, you know, 
you're, you're just having to concede cards left and right around you. So I do agree on the pro tour front, but just for the WMC front, you know, we're trying to build, build the best team in the world this year. That's what we're trying to build. That's the point of this. We're not, we're not trying to say like uh, Greece is really good at modern. We're trying to say Greece is number one in the world. Right. So a big yeah. part of magic is both limited and constructed. And, and I think the format uh, for doing so is just, just piss poor this year to be quite honest. That's fair. I mean, I'd like to see some standard in there and maybe instead of the second yeah, that's unlimited. Fair too, yeah. yeah, I could agree with that. That that would be a good change to a bad structure. <laughs> so you mentioned, Doug, uh, people weren't looking at, at these lists uh, to play at their upcoming PPTQs. And, and Robert's mentioned that like, you, you'd have to do a lot better than than having, you know, your modern decks go one, two all the time. And we see um, people like Brian Sue and Felix really champion the Titan Shift deck, and for the people that are watching this who, who might have an upcoming PPTQ, there's actually one uh, that I know of Sunday, a local here in Montreal. There's always a bunch here, uh, possibly every week, but the one coming up Sunday is Modern. So starting with you, Rob, what, what do you think? Um, did you look, did you care about any of the World Magic Cup results? And what do you think is the best deck in Modern right now? Yeah, so actually I didn't even look at the deck lists for content about what's good because the like the way that those decks are built and structured so that everyone has a playable deck is not, you know, it's not something that you can take with you, right? On like, a, or you get to play with all the cards, whatever you want. Like, um, so, so I, I, I wasn't looking at it for that, but in terms of like what you said, what do I think is the best deck? Um, I think modern is very complex uh, right now. And uh, even though, um, you know, the format has slowed down because there's been a bunch of bannings. All the decks that were very good before have now risen to the top again, right? So you have, like, all of these um, well-positioned mid-range decks that are still fine, like Grixis, Jund, Abzan, Bantel, Drazi, right? You have decks that are keeping them down, Scapeshift and, and Tron, um, and maybe Amulet Bloom, uh, if, if that deck can actually get somewhere where it's, like, or two. Um, you have very good combo decks in Dredge and Gorio, and you have a bunch of very insane um, aggro decks like Infect, Affinity, Burn, Zoo, that are just putting up great results week after week. So, I mean, I think that the aggro decks have really started to dominate the format and push decks like uh, Scapeshift and Tron down like a full peg, where I would be worried about running into these decks round after round and just being like dunked out of a tournament uh, quickly, like something like an RPTQ, for example. So I'm going to put my money on Obzon because I think it has a very good matchup against, or you, you can configure your deck so that it has a good matchup against all of these aggro decks, right? Like if you want to beat Infect, you can beat Infect. If you want to beat Infi Affinity, you can beat Affinity. Uh, it's already good against Zoo. It's reasonable against Burn. And you get to play cards like Rest in Peace, um, and that's very good against the, uh, the, the Dredge decks. You get Thoughtseize against the Combo decks. And you get Lingering Souls for your other mid-range matchups, right? So, actually, I think that, that Abzan is kind of where I want to be. It has all the tools it needs to beat the metagame. You just got to guess the metagame correctly or, or you're going to get fucked for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Doug, what do you think is the best deck in the format? So uh, I do think it's interesting, uh, one thing that Rob mentioned about uh, RPTQs and PPTQs, I do think that there's different metagames that are going to come for those. So uh, your deck choice would reflect in that. But your question specifically originally was on PPTQs. We'll tackle that first, and then I'll kind of just uh, 
go off of that. For the point of a PPTQ is you need to get first place. That's the only place that matters. You don't need to top four. You don't need to make the finals. Um, as I've learned in my magic career recently, you know, top fours are nice. They get you all sorts of nice things. But uh, first is what really ends up mattering at the end of the day. Don't quite say honest. that. Don't say that. Honest. No, it's a true, it's a true story. Like then, this. You, know, you mean like this stuff, right? Not like that not and not like, like. not like second in the Sunday Super Series. Yeah, I top eight of both of them. But, you know, ultimately, I didn't get the hardware. So if you're at a PPTQ, you need first place. And I think the deck that is the clear choice, like just the bread and butter best deck in the format, if you can learn how to play it properly, is Infect. And... Infect is a deck that I honestly was a little tepid on a few months ago and starting to think that, you know, it might not be able to compete with some of these mid-range decks like Obzon or like Bantel Drazi, which I took to win a modern face-to-face uh, -face tournament here in Edmonton. But then they printed Blossoming Defense, and this card just does everything that this deck wants, and I seriously think that card has done enough to the deck to make it the standout uh, best deck to pick for winning a given tournament and uh i think that infect is both proactive it is aggressive but it also can play very slowly i think if you want a clinic on how to play that deck properly there's a match where owen turnwald's on camera playing for day two and round six or round seven and he's playing infect and he's just playing around all of these different things his opponent could have instead of just slamming the cards in his hand and going for the win and, and building up to a place where he can have multiple lethal threats over a few extra turns. Uh, and, and my point in that is this is a deck that can really reward a skilled player. You don't just have to jam your Might of Old Crosses on turn two or turn three and, and go all in for a win. Uh, it can play... It can just weave circles around somebody if your mastery of the game is slightly higher than them. And if you're a player who's trying to get to that next level, it will teach you a lot of hard lessons about what not to do, which is, which is a good thing, I think, for taking into a PPTQ. If you're like me, someone who's grinding PPTQs right now, we need to learn how to get better at Magic. And if we want to win a tournament, we have to get better at Magic. And I think, in fact, both will advance your game skill-wise. And I think it will also be the strongest deck in the room. Uh, and and I think the affinity, uh, sorry, the infect masters that I know, um, they really prove that with their consistent results. So my money's on infect uh, if you're going for a PPTQ this weekend. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that infect is very good. Um, but I mean, when you're playing infect, do you want like if if you could pick your meta game, would you rather just Obzon not show up and play at a tournament if you were bringing infect? Like if it's the most represented deck, you're. <laughs> You're not feeling great, right? And now that people understand that Blessed Alliance is actually very good, <laughs> it's even worse for Infect, right? So, I mean, well, I, I think that Infect is very good. Yeah. It can nut you, right? It's definitely got those nut draws. There's a lot of decks in Modern that have those nut draws, um, and which is crazy because they banned a bunch of cards to, like, eliminate Just slow down the nut draws, right? <laughs> But they're, they're, they're still there. Um, but it can't really uh, respond to a bunch of decks trying to hate it out specifically. It's already got all the tools to do that, and it's kind of capped out at preventing people from trying to, to play, you know, against that strategy specifically. Whereas Obzon has the tools to shift. So if, if like, your event is, is more combo-oriented, you can, you know, pack more Thoughtseizes, more hand disruption, um, uh, cards like Lost Legacy or whatever the fuck people are playing these days to, uh, to exile stuff. Um, if it's more like Infect, Aggro, you have, you know, more Path, Lingering Souls, Blessed Alliance, Slaughter Pack, stuff like that. Um, if it's Affinity, you have, you know, also very good Artifact Removal uh, options there, Stony Silence, um, uh, 
I forget what the card's called. Something corrosion. It's just whatever. Fucking Shatterstorm for green, whatever the card's called. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, creeping corrosion. And you get rest in peace too for the graveyard decks, right? So this is there. You just need to, you know, need to build it like with what you think people are going to bring in mind. If everyone shows up with Tron and Scapeshift, I think you're kind of shut out of luck, to be honest, because that those two decks prey upon um, you know, black green X decks. But I, I think you're right that people do think that affinity infect these decks that are going very fast. Um, Death Shadow Zoo are where you want to be just because of the net drop potential. And you know, for that reason, I want to be packing Blessed Alliance, Damnation, and Slaughter Packs. <laughs> but I mean, I, I don't know if you watched the match I'm talking about, but what Owen was playing around was Blessed Alliance, and he proved there's a way, and he showed like his mastery over his opponent. And I think there's that next level to be achieved, especially when we're not talking about playing the deck at the Grand Prix level, where we're going to be coming up against these big end bosses who are going to play their Abzan deck like just so flawlessly that you can't earn any margins. I think Infect is a deck that, yeah, you're not happy if the room's full of Abzan, but you can definitely steal enough margin to get a win or two here or there. And these Abzan decks, you know, they're going to go against the guy who's only played Green Red Tron in the last three years, and like they're just going to get stomped <laughs> for, you know, that, that's, I think that's a relevant point uh, to, to be brought up, like uh, in a PPTQ. So, I don't know. I, I hear what you're saying, and I do love Abzan. I just played a Modern Trios event that I took down a, about a month ago, and I played Abzan, and I love that deck, but I think Infect is where you got to be right now, not Abzan. That's okay. fair. I, I would play Infect in, in Toronto because everyone's playing Scapeshift, but if I was playing in the <laughs> West, I would play Abzan. <laughs> Robert mentioned how you know you can tweak Abzan to do any type of, of metagame and have it be really good, but it, it, in my personal experience, at least when I went to Toronto... I played against like um, it's not it's not just a single event, but I would play against uh, Delver when it was no longer. I was playing against Blue Red Delver, or Grixis Delver, and I I had not prepared for that at all for the uh, WMCQ that Felix ended up winning. So, Doug, in your experience, how accurate can you be with modern metagaming? And in my experience, not really. So, what, what's your take? Yeah, it's tough. I think the bigger the tournament, like the tougher it gets. Um, and I definitely will say, like uh, when I, you know, I played that nine round Swiss face to face tournament, I had a shit cyborg because I predicted the tournament wrong. And I, I, I will admit to people that I got very lucky that I, that I cast uh, turn two thought not series a lot because my cyborg was just predicted wrong for that metagame. And, and that's a risk that you that you're gonna have with a deck like uh, Abzan and a deck like. Uh, um, Bant Eldrazi, but with Infect, you're not going to have that much of a risk. And yeah, you are the elephant in the room. You are the person that might be getting metagamed against. And, and you hate when, you know, your your opponent casts like the second Malara in a game and you're just looking at him like, seriously, bro? Like, what, what is this 2014 right now? Like, what? why are we playing two, two Malaras? Like, they printed this this card called NFNs that's, that's just better but you know that's that's something that that's going to happen to you uh when you play these decks but i i think you brought up the valid point that it's just so hard to to accurately metagame and if if that's one of your strengths and you really think you can do it you know i'm not going to say don't do it but i do think that you're taking a huge risk and risks can pay off but risks can also be something that you can avoid rob are you just that much better than us in in, in metagame <laughs> pr prediction up obviously is very clear. <laughs> um, no, I, I think like we're kind of talking about two different things, right? So I agree with Doug completely that the larger the tournament gets, the more of a clusterfuck it is to, to metagame, right? Like if you're going to a GP, 
it is is very tough to figure out what people are going to play. And the people that show up to a GP and play modern are just like, this is my modern deck. I have a modern <laughs> deck. So whatever I fucking invested in, that's what I'm bringing. This modern GP is in my is in my neighborhood. Here, here I come, right? And it's just like whatever, like uh, restore balance or uh, like Delver, like <laughs> whatever. Just guy control, like with Geist, like it's still there. I still have it. I'm gonna play it, right? They, they play it every week. But at a PPTQ level and at an RPTQ level, where the event sizes are like 20 to 60 players. Um, at least in, in Canada, uh, is my experience. Um, I think that you can get a better understanding, especially at the RPTQ level. Like, I don't expect anyone to come with some random ass rogue shit at the at the, <laughs> at the RPTQ that's that's happening in like uh, two weeks or whatever, right? I think it should be typically all known decks. Some people might not really know they might bring lists like directly from the World Mad uh, the World Magic Cup, which would be uh, you know entertaining, I guess, to see them kind of handicap themselves by not having the full card pool uh, available to them. Um, but I think that it'll be, yeah, lots of people are talking about effect. That should be a well-represented deck. Lots of people in the area play scape shift. I think that, that should be a well-represented deck. The scape shift people actually pay attention and notice that people are talking about these aggro decks. They should switch off of it to something else. Hopefully it's Jund, in which case you should expect me to be qualified for Dublin because I'll be playing absent. <laughs> But I think the mentality that you're sharing right now, though, is an exploitable one, um, even within that system. I know that uh, back in the RPTQ for Atlanta, my friend Lane told me, Doug, like, this is a time where no one's packing graveyard hate because this wasn't in a world where Dredge existed yet, right? So because people are playing these mid-range type decks where you have to pick your poison, there's always a poison you leave out. And so I showed up with Living Ends, and I, I played against two jank random decks that you're talking about like just guys who are just like playing these random things uh, and then i played against you know uh splinter twin which at the time was was awesome i played against uh, amulet bloom which at the time was awesome but they weren't prepared for for the left fields and and i think that's a risk you run into with a deck like abzan or you know back in the day something like splinter twin could run into these left field decks that would beat it you know because uh, it was kind of like a mid-range deck it was a mid-range combo but um i think that that's a vulnerability you're opening yourself up to and i don't think infect loses enough points in a small field where you need to win like probably five rounds in the swiss maybe to top eight and then one more round you're not like you're, you're not having to dodge landmines for too long. You know, it's a pretty short tournament. So I, I still put my money on Infect personally. But. Mm -hmm. All right, That's Doug. Um, Rob, uh, before we move on to another topic, before I switch us off, you were known, just want a quick answer from you, you were known to champion Suicide Zoo for a while, especially with your unique uh, sort of tweak of playing Apostle's Blessing, uh, like two copies or something like that in the main. Yep. Is, is that no longer a tier one deck in your eyes? I, yeah, I think that, um, like, the, the like Dredge and um, Infect are just, have gotten tools from Kaladesh that put it just a little bit above Death Shadow Zoo, and uh, you, you can get the same effect and the same speed without the risk of, like, running your life total down, you know, to two before you can uh, reliably kill your opponent. So um, I just think that the, the combo density in those two decks is higher, um, and they have the same resiliency, so there's no reason to kind of, um, you know, hedge with the with the Death Shadow Zoo, uh, like it being a, a little like a little bit different. It, it, I think it was faster before, um, but it's not. I don't think it's there. 
All right. So I'm um, off it. I'm off it. Short answer is I'm off it. Yeah. <laughs> um, moving on to standard, a recent tweet. I'm sorry if I butcher your name. Saffron Olive, the guy who contributes to MTG Goldfish, tweeted that. So are we just resigned to Green Black Delirium versus Blue White Flash for the next 10 months? 85% <laughs> of the SCG top 32 were these two decks. Um, I personally am in love with Blue White. I uh, unfortunately finished second in two pre-TQs with uh, Blue White. I felt uh, for a while that Copter was overpowered, but Black Green Delirium showed that even if you don't play Copter, if you have like a cyborg or removal spells to interact with Copter favorably and you have other uh, cards that are a problem for the blue-white deck, like Liana being able to kill a selfless spirit easily, forcing them to, to mostly sideboard them out, um, Green Black Delirium can be and is considered the best deck by a lot of top players. I want to know where you stand on this, Doug. Um, and is is it a problem for the format? Because I, I felt like the matches that play out, I really enjoy them. So what are your thoughts, Doug? Um, yeah, it is. A, I do think that it is between these two decks, just to kind of put that out there. I, I do think, you know, zombies might be good as well. But when I'm going to talk about what's the best deck in the format and uh, what would I champion, it's going to be either green, black or blue, white. There, there's no uh, There's no alternative. So I spent a lot of time, you know, preparing, looking over these two decks, playtesting with them. And ultimately, I think blue-white is just, it's, it's the monster that, that you need to win these tournaments. I think that uh, green-black preys, honestly, on a lot of uh, players' weakness with the blue-white decks and uh, players who don't know how to properly sequence everything, as well as players who uh, get too aggressive with animating copters right away on turn three when sometimes like you need to not animate it in case they have a removal spell and you can just slow roll it a little bit and uh, if you're a strong blue white player who understands these things i think that that deck is just it's the deck you want to be on and i think that um uh, the results sadly do prove that it is basically a two deck format like you said even if you look past uh just the the star city results that you mentioned but you look at the last two standard gps uh, in Santiago and Warsaw, which were, you know, three weeks ago now. But those top eights were just overrun with blue, white, and green, black as well. And uh, and I will point out that both of those two GPs were won by blue, white, even though one of them had something like five or six green blocks in the top eight. Uh, blue, white still rose to the top of both of them. Uh, this is a deck that you have a lot of opportunities to uh, customize with cards like Revolutionary Rebuff that are so good against green, black. Uh, and, and the more the metagame shifts, the more you'll be able to uh, position yourself in a way, whether it's Giselle's in the sideboard or playing cards like Bruna. Uh, there's so many options that you can have. And, and I think a skilled blue-white player uh, is in the best spot right now, even more than a skilled green-black player going into a tournament. Uh, so the format is definitely, I think, just the two decks are so far ahead of the others. There are other decks that can win, Mardu Vehicles, Zombies. But if you're not playing <laughs> green-black or blue-white, I think you're just making a big mistake. What do you yeah, think, Rob? Yeah, I, I, agree, I agree with Doug that if you're not playing black, green, or blue, white, you're definitely giving yourself a handicap uh, in, in the event. And I do think that both decks favor uh, skilled play. Like, there's a lot of every, – every turn, there are a lot of options, um, and it definitely rewards correct decision-making, and you get small advantages in both decks over the course of the game, right? So if you're, if you're more knowledgeable than your opponent, you should definitely be able to have better results than you would with, with another given deck. Now, that that said, um, I think that you said that Blue-White kind of has some space to innovate 
stuff like Revolutionary Rebuff, which is definitely good against Green Black, right? Um, I, I think that's why it's there. But I think it's actually kind of capped at how far it can innovate, right? Like that shell of Draven Inspector, Flector Mage Spell, Queller, Avacyn, Smuggler's Copter, a couple of removal spells, um, and some Gideons is kind of where it is. Like that takes up a, a bulk of the deck, and that's where the power of the deck sits, right? So like there, there aren't a lot of other options in blue and white. Um, this style of deck anyways they kind of progress the game plan of that deck uh, down a better path. So there's, you know, I think maybe three flex slots in, in the deck where it can respond to the metagame in a positive way. And other than that, like, it's just, it's doing its thing, right? Which is similar kind of like to how green-white tokens was. A lot of that deck was fixed um, before, and you could innovate a little bit, like try to win the mirror um, or, or small innovations here, but you can make drastic changes where... I think the opposite is true for green-black. There are so many good cards uh, in green-black that, that that core deck, Grimflare, Ishkana, some graveyard cards, Grasp of Darkness, and Liliana's, like that's really where the deck has its power. The other stuff is like all flex slots. So you can respond to the metagame in a, in a much more drastic way than you can something with blue-white. And I think that as the format evolves, we're going to see green black really push blue white down because it has a lot more iterations it can do to slowly inch its way up against blue white and have you know just you know two percent better win percent two percent better win percent each event and then someone finally gets there and it's like yeah this is the configuration of this deck that's reasonable against aether works good against vehicles and the zombies deck but also like has the best possible matchup i can get against blue white without like sacrificing the rest of the format right and if you look at, like, the SCQ results from last weekend where it's like, yeah, it's not a Grand Prix, it's not a Pro Tour, whatever, but green-black really – so there's a bunch of green-black in the top eight and a bunch of blue-white, and green-black just fucking demoed all of them in the first <laughs> round. So I think people, people, are getting, people are getting there, and I think that as, as it goes on week by week, their, their knowledge about that matchup and how they want the configuration – configuration of the deck to be is just going to be better and better. I don't think blue-white has that much, um, those many spots to kind of respond uh, to, to green-black. So if I was a betting man and I, I could only pick one standard deck that I was going to ride out for the rest of the season, it would definitely be uh, green-black. I think you can get a good configuration of it until Aether, um, Aether Revolt comes out. But, I mean, do you only get 80 cards, or are you just taking the whole card pool? Because, like, yeah, of course, you can make the four different green-black decks, right? Like, you could even be on this aggro deck, but I, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily buy that blue-white doesn't have room to innovate because, you know, there are still cards that aren't seeing a lot of mainstream play. One, for example, is uh, Key to the City. That, that card is just phenomenal in the green-black matchup. And it's also really good in other matchups, like getting your hand underneath uh, Fevered Visions. But people aren't adopting some of these things yet because the deck has been so powerful and dominant that there's not been this need to adapt yet. And and I think you were right. Green-Black is starting to, you know, make some headway and push down Blue-White. But I think Blue-White is going to adapt. Like, for example, um, one of, you know, one of my good friends and uh, great Canadian slash British Magic players, Sammy T, sent me a Blue-White list <laughs> for, uh, for a tournament that, uh, that I recently played. And the list had only one Gideon main deck. And it had three Gisela's side, uh, main deck. And uh, my point is, like, the, the format shifts and, and iteration shift and... Uh, I think there is wiggle room still within that deck. And 
Um, yeah, I didn't win the tournament, so I'm not necessarily saying that the list was like a 10 out of 10 uh, nut list. And I, <laughs> I went 50-50 against Green Black. But um, I'm just saying that there are still ways that you can innovate. And like Key to the City, for example, is a card that I hadn't really considered much. And I hadn't seen a lot of in a lot of the lists. And it was just incredible in the three games I drew it against Green Black. I just like easily uh, felt like I had a shot. Whereas games where I didn't have that card, I, I was scraping and my inexperience really showed as a, as a local player who's been playing Green Black for, for a while really kind of worked me since I hadn't really played a lot of Blue White. But I think there's room to innovate and uh, I, I think you're going to see more from Blue White once you know you start getting those 2%, 2%, 2%. Blue White's going to adapt as well, and you know maybe counters go main deck and all sorts of other options. So we'll see. All right. Uh, before uh, there was talk when like we all saw all these copter decks, people thought, hey, maybe we should we should ban something. And I had mentioned how I, I enjoy this format so much. In fact, in the blue white mirror, like this, this is the best standard I've played in a long time. Uh, we're in the blue white mirror. Every article you read and people. Obviously, when they pick the deck up, follow these articles. They will. They a lot of them currently have the Gisela plan in the sideboard with Bruna in the sideboard, and they bring that in the mirror and and they like to sideboard out the Reflector Mages. And because I know that, I've had a lot of successes keeping my Mages in because post board the Gisellas come in and my Mages become that much better because they're bringing Gisellas and they, they get totally blown out tempo wise because they play the Gisela. I just blow them out with Reflector Mage. They're like. Well, well, weren't we supposed to side those out? So, <laughs> despite the format only having two decks, do you guys agree with me that uh, Rob mentioned that it is skill testing? So, so Doug, what do you think about the format? Does anything need to be banned? Is it an enjoyable format to play? In my um, experience from the Pro Tour and the PP2, which is all that I have, so you know, it's not a ton of sanctioned matches, but I think the format's very enjoyable. Um, I played... Uh, I played a control deck, Mardu, at the Pro Tour, and then I played Blue-White at the PP2Q, and there there wasn't a match that went by that didn't have uh, skill-testing interactions. You know, even in matches where opponents were mulganing, I feel like cards like Copter give these comeback mechanisms to re-sculpt hands that allow for longer games and more play and more interesting uh, play patterns, and we're looking at the two best decks being blue, white, and green, black. These aren't decks that usually kill you before turn five or six. I mean, green, black has the potential to do that on some of its, you know, busted grim flare draws. But for the most part, these are, these are slower, like go to a longer grind game. And that leads to interesting play patterns. And, uh, and I think that there's even decks like Mardu and zombies, which I mentioned before, which, you know, can attack the metagame from two very different angles. So that forces your deck to not only, just focus on the two Titans, but have these other options and some fun games against zombies and fun games against, uh, uh, against Mardu. But yeah, mirror matches are great. Like uh, I, I had an opponent keep in his reflector mages against me and I'm playing Gisela's and he's reflecting them. And, and it was like, Oh man, like I feel so far behind all of a sudden when, when I was the player who was doing the typically like correct thing. And um, you know, and, and I, I was able to navigate him into some situations with counter spells where I just blew him out of the water. And where <laughs> my Avacyn resolves, he's, his Avacyn comes in, but I have a backup uh, spell shrivel because I didn't spell shrivel like a super important Gideon the turn before because I was trying to walk him into this Avacyn line. Like, there's lots of things that you can do in, in mirror matches and even against green black, I think. And uh, 
and yeah, it's it's super fun. Yeah, there's some dumb draws, but for the most part, we're not looking at a Cobblade format that needs bannings, in my opinion. Rob? Yeah, I agree. I don't think anything needs to be banned. And I think that the format, if you're a skilled player, this should be a very good format for you. You should enjoy it. There's a lot of, like Doug said, there's a lot of interesting decisions. Each each point of the, of the game, there's interesting decisions. There's interesting decisions in how what you choose to play and when you choose to play it is actually very important. And how you choose to respond to your opponent's threats and when you choose to respond to your opponent's threats is also very important. So just like it, I think um, some standards, it's just it's more like how you choose to respond to your opponent's threats, not when. The when is always like immediately. Whereas this format <laughs> is, uh, it, it kind of has that next level of like, like Doug said, it's not always correct to just like, oh, there's, there's a spell. I have a counter spell. I have mana up. I'm going to counter it. It's like, no, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to get you the next turn. So if you're someone that can plan ahead, it's definitely uh, – and I see that in, uh, in my games when I was playing you know, locally and testing, that if you're one step ahead of your opponent, um, it, it drastically improves your, your win rate. Um, but there is a little – I think Copter's a little too good. I don't think it's too good to get banned. I think it's just – it would be a little bit – it would be a better format if Copter was just a little bit worse. Like if it was a 3-2 or, you know, it was crew 2. I, I'm not sure exactly where it needs to be. Or maybe it needs to actually fucking connect with the opponent before it lets you loot. That, that's probably fine. It's yeah. just, eh, just, a little, just a little bit too good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are definitely draws where I curve out with Inspector. And, and just having Inspector and Copter turn 2 and having a third land where I can draw into Queller or, or Mage just seems uh, super powerful. Uh, continue with... Yeah, can I say one very quick yeah. point? I, I think if they make Copter worse, Green Black would easily be the best deck. And you already said it's the best deck and it doesn't play Copter. So. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. just want to point point that out. I, I, that, I that's think fair. Copter they, is... they also printed too many good Green Black cards. I don't know what the fuck they were thinking either. <laughs> sure. I just, I think Copter's great, but it's, I think it's the man we need. <laughs> Keeping with Standard, uh, recently Wizards announced uh, something called the Standard Showdown. So from November 26th through December 17th, stores around the world will be able to host standard showdown tournaments on Saturdays with special promotional prize boosters earned through undefeated play and other means as determined by each store. Uh, the tournaments will be Swiss events meant to showcase the standard format. And a lot of these special standard showdown boosters have, I, I believe they, there's three cards in each of them, and you have uh, Zendikar Expeditions and Kaladesh Inventions appear in roughly one in 33 boosters. So they're really trying to uh, boost in-store tournaments, which in my experience as the media coordinator of face-to-face -face games, the turnout for just regular tournaments is basically at an all-time low because there is a PPTQ within a one-hour radius every weekend to the point there's just no nobody who shows up. Uh, we can sometimes fire uh, like a regular modern tournament so they're trying to come up with this new thing to maybe spark some attendance. I am still skeptical because of the PPTQ uh, system. There's some value. And uh, Doug, you share uh, my skepticism. Yeah, I, I share your skepticism. And, and what I heard when you were introing um, what it was is I heard about 100 like awesome words that made it sound great. But there were two words you said that I think just sewer this entire product. And those two <laughs> words are on Saturdays. Like the, this would be a good idea to build up in-store attendance and to, to help grow um, local 
uh, ownership in your magic community as a store owner and from a player base. And, and I'm a player who not only is like a, you know, a moto focused player. I like to go to stores. I like to go to Star Lotus games or warp locally and play. These are just two places where there's a good community, you know, great players. Uh, there's a lot of uh, skilled competition, but Saturdays are so full of PPTQs in Alberta. And, and it sounds like in other places in Canada as well. And I, I assume in, in much of the world from what I've heard um, from a lot of my friends in the States or uh, people traveling around, even, even in some places in Europe, I'm sure I don't know about the smaller communities, but for, for those ones that I'm addressing, Saturdays are jam-packed with tournaments. And I, I like the idea of a, a showdown. I almost said a Saturday showdown, but a standard showdown. I just don't think you need to put it on Saturdays. Let it be a Sunday thing as well. And then you can have a weekend where you have a PPTQ on the Saturday, which will get scheduled. And then you also have a showdown on the Sunday. Maybe let it be something that could be fused into an FNM to build attendance or a weekly Wednesday tournament, you know, allow some flexibility uh, with the product. Maybe, maybe if the store had to run one Saturday a month, but then they could run one or two non-Saturdays a month. I, I don't know what they would have to do to change it, but I think that the fact that it's Saturday only just makes this not a great product because it's going to start drawing from PP to Qs. There will be some people who would rather go try and get that mythic expedition at a smaller tournament than go to PP to Q. That hurts PP to Qs, which I know have to pay uh, judges that are L2s. And so attendance does matter in PP to Qs for small stores that are trying to get themselves built up to be like a player in the, in the new uh, world uh, of magic economy and, and the price of cards and everything. But I, I think that this product just will hurt the PPTQ front. And I don't think that it's a good idea to do it Saturday only. Hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> I think strong arguments to counter here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Someone would think that. Um, so I mean, you can agree. Wizards We're looking... allowed to agree. <laughs> No. <laughs> not, on, not on this anyways. So I, I think you bring up some valid um, points in like furthering the plan. Like maybe they start allowing like stores to run uh, mostly Saturdays and some weekdays or, or some mix. So it's not like always the same shit, right? So I, I agree that there's, there's always improvements for like everything that Wizards uh, brings out and almost always Whatever they bring out, if it's the first time they brought it out, it's definitely not the correct way to do things. But for this, um, I think they're looking at their data in terms of tournament attendance. And like KYT said, the tournament attendance uh, for a local event when it's not a PPDQ is just not where they want it to be, right? So they have this marketing uh, promo that's trying to get players that are not going – like, they're people that would play at a, at a local store, um, but – are not players that you would get in on the weekend. Like they're playing their Tuesday night um, modern and they come and they draft or they play standard on Friday. And that's, you know, that's their rotation. And if there's a PPTQ locally, maybe they'll come, maybe they won't. Um, so like, how do you get these people back into the store on the weekend, right? They're already playing during the week. Wizards can see that. So I think that's why they're forcing this for Saturday and also to put like some pressure on the, the PPTQ system and get people, um, you know, into the store a good enough incentive to get them in the store, um, but not take them away from the PPTQ if that's what they were already going to do, right? So you, you mentioned that you think that attendance from the PPTQ might go down because of this. I think that it won't. 
And the reason I think that is that if you're the kind of person that's going to the PPDQs, like, you know, you're, you're following them around to store to store to store throughout your local area, you really want that invite to the RPTQ. It matters to you. Also, if you win, you get, I guess it's a foil uh, Emrakul now, but you did get a foil <laughs> Snapcaster, which was pretty sweet. And that Emrakul, I don't know, yeah, it might be worth something too. So there are lots of incentives to do that. But like that, that route, like what they're trying to promote there is like the pro tour path, right? That's what the PBQ is doing. This standard showdown stuff is not for you. It is not for us, not for me or KYT or Doug or like anyone who gives a shit about qualifying for the pro tour. It's for like all these local kids who um, just really wouldn't come out to an event on a Saturday unless it was like, you know, right next door. So the stores can't run them reliably because the attendance isn't there. Like only six people show up, eight people show up, whatever. Then it drops below eight and now they can't run them anymore. This way there's a large enough incentive like, hey, you can open a $500 card that like maybe they'll, they'll come to the store and they'll actually play and they can get Saturday events going, get interested in standard, going up, start moving these singles so like the whole fucking market doesn't crash around us, right? Um, I don't know if it's the best thing to do it, but I think that it's a very good attempt and we'll know if it worked or not because if, we, if it happens again after Aether Revolt, then obviously it did what they wanted to do. And if they come out with something completely different, then you were right and I was wrong. It was complete trash. <laughs> I, I, I will be honest. I didn't really consider much thought into the market piece. I should have because they're putting more of these cards into the market. But yeah, I, I've already like outlined a couple other ways they could have done it, which yes, everything can be improved. But yeah, I didn't really think about the fact that, you know, they just are trying to push more cards. So that, that's, that's a great point. Whoa. Praising Boom. your opponent. Whoa. Whoa. Got to be honest, man. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't show up to lie. I show up to game and I got to say <laughs> game sometimes. But, I mean, you could, you could improve the market with a better non-sewer strategy. They also have the buy a box thing, but that's a whole other topic. Let's not... Ooh, buy boxes with twelve scalding tarns. Let's do it, wizards. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, last topic of the night. Uh, this has gone really well, actually. But we're gonna have to skip uh, some of the um, other things for for next episode. This one, I really want. I really want to. I'm really curious because I, I, with the pre-show uh, talk that we've had, chatter. So, most underrated Canadian player. Well, there's. I, I used to think, this, when I started Mad Deprived, Doug knows this, I used to hype up Hain a lot before he, he made it big. I really thought he was um, the best player that I've ever – well, I didn't know he was the best player in the country, but he was definitely the, the best player I've ever had to play against locally and by a sizable margin and still is to this point. And so I will start with Doug. Uh, who is your – currently the most underrated player that, that a lot of people haven't heard about. All right. So I just want to go on record before I throw this out and say that uh, I, I hyped to KYT that Sean McLaren was one of the most underrated Canadians, and then he won a pro tour. And then a year ago, I hyped that Brian Sue was one of the most underrated Canadians. And now he just represented Team Canada. But uh, I, I had to think long and hard on this one because I, I do think that a lot of our Canadian talent is pretty much correctly ranked, right? A lot of these guys uh, we, you, that we see win maybe base tournaments or we see maybe qualifying from our PTQs, we've ranked them pretty accurately. But I do think there's one player, he's an Alberta player, that has been chronically underranked for a long, long time. And 
You may have heard of him. You may not have heard of him. But I can guarantee you've heard of his brother because the player that I am talking about who I think is the single most underrated player in Canada is Dean McLaren. All right? Mm. So Dean McLaren is Sean McLaren's brother. Here's a few little-known facts you might not know about Dean. Um, Sean is called the lone wolf who tests for all these pro tours by himself and preps by himself and doesn't go on teams. That's not entirely true because he always is prepping and working with his brother, Dean. And it is definitely a two-way conversation. Dean is incredibly intelligent. Uh, Dean had a little bit of infamy when there used to be those um, special invites to the pro tours for pro tour dragons maze in San Diego. Dean got second place in back-to-back magic online pro tour qualifiers. And I believe he also had a third second place. So, so after all these second places, he got one of the special invites and he had a chance to play on the pro tour with his brother. Uh, He's a local that just absolutely dominates when he shows up to tournaments you know, winning face-to-face opens that come uh, to Red Deer. He made top four, which I know isn't a great feat, but he lost to me in the top four. Uh, <laughs> top, top four is a great feat. It is a fantastic feat. But, but Dean is just that type of player that when you sit down across from him, you, even a guy like me who has had a, you know, some reasonable success and spiked some lucky pizza cues, I'm a little bit nervous or at least fully respecting his play skill. Um, wow. Dean's He's been to multiple pro tours. He has that kind of ice cold demeanor when he plays. And little known fact about Dean, he recently won another, uh, he won a Magic Online PTQ and is qualified for Dublin. Um, He did it with Sean in the room, but Dean was the one playing. And when Sean won his Moto PTQ on Christmas a few years back before he won a pro tour, Dean was in the room. Uh, He is not just Sean's brother. He is an incredible Magic player. And I think he is the single most underrated uh, player in Canada, and and probably on a larger scale than just Canada, to be honest, because he's phenomenal. I just wanted to quickly add one thing to to uh, what you said, Doug. Uh, face-to-face games open. Uh, when we started the MDSS series, like the tournaments weren't that large, and uh, as we evolved to the face-to-face games series, there are certain places where like you might not value the results because of the tournament size. But when we host them in Alberta, they are by far the biggest. Uh, some of the biggest, very biggest opens we, we've hosted in the entire country, whether it's uh, Unminted, whether it's Calgary, and whether it's Red Deer. So when I see those results, I do give them a lot of respect. So when you win one, that actually means a lot to me. And, uh, yeah, just Dean doing well in one, it's just more than just a random – to me, it's more than just a random tournament. We're talking about over, like, 150-plus players sometimes, and that's, like, um, rare for any tournaments in Montreal that's not, like – a PP like a path to the pro tour type turn. So uh, yeah, I think that the one he won was like just shy of 200 players. And then the next week or the, sorry, the very next one was just over 200 players and he nine rounds of Swiss undefeated in both Swisses and crushes the top eight of the first one and then falls to me and my very, very lucky turn two thought not seers in the, in the top four. And, and honestly, like I had to top deck to beat him both both games so I, I'm just saying like this man is a beast and I I think he needs to get a lot more credit than just being Sean's brother who is your beast Mr. Lombardi I didn't even know Dean McLaren was a person on this planet so that that's, <laughs> this is my point <laughs> yeah so I you you bring a very valid and strong argument I think right <laughs> very very likely true if he has these results and uh, he, he truly is um, you know, kind of underrated. Um, the person that I think is the most underrated in Canada is 
is someone that I don't think gets a, a lot of respect from the community. They, they contribute, you know, a lot. And, you know, like when you kind of go into Magic um, fame and you start talking a lot about the game, but you're not playing a lot, you're not putting up, you know, results uh, all the time, you fall to the wayside, right? Like people like, you know, Marshall Sutcliffe, that everyone <laughs> thinks they just, they suck, right? So my my pick for Canada's most underrated player is 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 Car. It's Car Young Com. I think that everyone thinks he's shit, but I actually think he's pretty fucking good. You're welcome. Can I change mine to KYT? <laughs> Doug, you should change yours to me so I can win a Pro Tour or something. Fuck. Your, your most underrated player comments are fucking blessed. I'm going to bet on Shaquille McLaren for the next PTs qualified for it. Um, is that your actual answer? Do you have another answer, Rob? You're my pick. Oh, man. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'll take the <laughs> Captain Canada. Um, wow. This was some show. This was some show. I got way more comfortable as we, we got along. I, still, I see Rob with, like, shifting papers. I don't know if he has actual notes. I made notes, motherfuckers. Well, yeah, I, like... I have papers, too. It's, I, it's university a, paper, yeah, though. A, oh, jeez. I have a bad memory, so when Doug's ranting for five minutes, making a bunch of, you know, sometimes valid arguments, I got to jot them down or else I don't know how to counterpunch them. <laughs> All right. Um, that does it for our debut episode. Thank you, everyone, for watching. We've got a lot of people in the chat, especially, I don't know if you know this guy, Vince Steiner, Doug? Or he's from I Edmonton. The, don't know if I recognize You have a fan and you don't even know who he is? I said I didn't recognize the last name. That's all I said. <laughs> and uh, the fifth. Vin, Vince D'Agostino says Doug is such a hero. So shout-outs to Vince, shout-outs to Jay Rich, and shout-outs to uh, Kyle Mathers and uh, Brian Go or Brian Matthews, who is not here but uh, is constantly working uh, in the background for us uh, as we discuss how to improve the show. So hope you guys enjoyed it, and we'll see you next week.